Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony's been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. And this is Courage to Hope, and this is Tony LaGreca. And tonight we have Karen Jacobs, who is the Substance Use Prevention Coordinator for the Health Department in the town of Weymouth. Is Weymouth considered a city or a town? It's a town. It's big like a city. There's enough people for it to be called a city, but it, it's it's a town. It's officially a town. Okay. Yes. And today is a very special day in the town of Weymouth. This is a, a Prevention Alliance Black Balloon Day. Did I say that right? Yeah. So Black Balloon Day is a national event that helps us come together and, and remember those lost to um, substance overdose. We're celebrating here in Weymouth, and it's something that our Prevention Alliance, so the Weymouth Prevention Alliance, put together this year. So tell me about the group that's doing this, the actual physical people that are out there working with you? Yeah, so we had a really wonderful group this morning. Uh, of course, myself from the health department, many of my colleagues, two of our public health nurses, our health and wellness coordinator, our director was there. We also had some individuals with lived experiences. So we had some guys from A Vision for Hope, which is a sober home here in town. They came out nice and early. There were so many people, more than I expected. And we also had some bereaved parents are part of our group. They come out and help us form this alliance to plan prevention programming, hold awareness workshops and programs such as we did today to reduce that stigma around opioid use disorder and substance use disorder. We also have some professional colleagues. We have representation from some clinics and other healthcare organizations in the area that come to our table so we have a really diverse set of stakeholders that come and discuss how we can implement more effective prevention strategies in Weymouth, beginning early on in life, youth prevention, all the way up through recovery and support. I see. Now, I was wondering, how do you pick the locations where you're going to put the balloons? That's a really good question. We were fortunate this year. Weymouth celebrated their 400th anniversary I, I suppose, you know, since being incorporated. So a lot of what we did was piggybacked on what they had done. You might notice if you drive around town, you'll see the power boxes that are wrapped in images from their historical images of what, you know, that intersection may have looked like uh, many years ago. We put place balloons at each one of those. We took advantage of our municipal buildings. So you'll see police, fire, Youth and Family Services, DPW here at Town Hall. All of those will have a balloon on it. We also placed some in open spaces. So a lot of the town parks will have them. We also opened up the opportunity for individuals to request a balloon to be displayed at home. That was presented to the Alliance mainly. And lastly, we also provided an opportunity for people to release a virtual balloon. 
our goal here, of course, is to not litter Weymouth with balloons, but still have that significance of Black Balloon Day. I see. Do you have a count of how many um, over the last few years, how many people have died of substance use disorder in Weymouth? Um, Justin Weymouth, I don't have um, a count, but it's something that I can find. Um, the DPW does a great job of keeping track of these things. So the current opioid statistics as of December in 2022 for Weymouth residents alone, let's wait, city town. I should have had my statistics all pulled up for you already. So in Weymouth alone, uh, uh, Weymouth, there were 27 um, deaths in 2021 from opioid overdose. Well, that's that's quite a few. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and the population of Weymouth is how much? Uh, let's see, the Weymouth population, 57,000. 57,000, okay. So that's an interesting... Um, now, it was brought to my attention, too. Uh, I, I was talking with an individual at Lived Experiences today, when it comes to, to overdoses and overdose deaths, what we, we see might be some discrepancy. He mentioned to me that some individuals who survive an overdose might not necessarily get reported. So we might not see the whole picture of, of what's happening if an individual survives an overdose, say they're given naloxone and they survive the overdose, might not necessarily go reported. Where, of course, the statistics that I had just given were for those confirmed um, deaths from opioid overdose. Yeah, the big thing that I'm quite aware of is that they don't really track the people who are seniors who die from opioid overdose because they don't do autopsies. <clears throat> they say died peacefully at home or their heart stopped and they call it a heart attack. But uh, this national, on the, we're always complaining about this on a national level that, that you know, in, in a lot of states in the United States, they, they don't even do, they don't, they don't even have a coroner or they don't have anybody even examine the body, even when people are 40 and over. Mm-hmm. So, so they, um, uh, the numbers are very skewed. There's, it's way more than people think it is. And, yeah, when we think about the population that you mentioned, they're at an increased risk, particularly if they're given a high-risk opioid prescription for pain management. That might be something that's given long-term. If we find the individual has issues with prescription adherence, skipping a dose, forgetting that they had maybe taken a dose, taking an extra dose, that increases the risk for opioid overdose. So I think it's important, primarily as a prevention alliance, that we incorporate all ages into our prevention plan. Recently, I visited the senior center here in town and I provided them with two doses of naloxone or or Narcan, that opioid reversal drug. For that reason, it might not be a demographic that comes to mind when we think about who might be at risk for opioid overdose. But the fact of the matter is, is that anybody who has access to these drugs could be at risk. That's right. Now, one thing that uh, I know the answer to this, but, but if somebody was given naloxone and you really weren't sure whether it was from an overdose or what, uh, will that harm the patient? So it's a really common question, and no. Naloxone works by knocking opioids off of the brain receptors that are 
that attracts those that opioid to it. And then it just blocks any more opioids from attaching to it. So if there's no opioids to block off, nothing harmful will happen to that individual if they're given naloxone and there's no opioids present in their system. So if you're not sure, okay to go. Yeah, That's, absolutely. It's much, much better to do it than think about it because by the longer you wait, the, uh, the longer the brain damage could occur and it could be too late. That's right. You can't be um, thinking about, can't be waiting for the police or the ambulance to come. You need to do it immediately as soon as you see them hunched over. That's right. And you can go through a series of tests if you're unsure if the individual is having an overdose or maybe they just took too much that they haven't quite overdosed, but they're they're still looking like they might be. Um, and we have naloxone here at the health department. It's free. Individuals can come um, and judgment-free, come down and speak with me, come to the health department and get naloxone. You can carry it. I carry some in my bag. And we also have fentanyl test strips too, uh, just another part of our harm reduction toolkit to keep people safe. Well, that's good. Would you explain to the audience about the fentanyl sure. uh, strips, what they are and how they work? Yeah, so fentanyl test strips were actually invented as a, a drug test. Um, so you would, you know, someone would give a urine sample and you would put the, the strip in and it would tell you if there was fentanyl present in their system. But a group of harm reduction workers discovered that it works in also testing substances and can be worked as used as a harm reduction tool. So what the individual could do is take a small sample of a substance, add water to it. How much water depends on what substance is being tested. Add the strip in and it will tell the individual if there's fentanyl present in that, in that drug or in that substance. There are some downsides. It doesn't tell you how much fentanyl is in it. It doesn't tell you the potency of the fentanyl in that in that substance, but it does allow that individual to say, okay, there's a chance that this product might be contaminated with fentanyl. I, I will not use this or whatever decision, you know, maybe if they're not ready to take that path to recovery, they choose to use less, whatever it might be. We recognize that individuals can't get well if they're not here with us. So let's reduce the harms. And that's the whole point of these harm reduction tools is to keep to reduce those harms of this these substance use. How do you feel about or does anybody in Weymouth given any thought to having a um, safe injection facility? It's not anything that's come up since I've been on board. Um, we don't have... Um, a syringe service program, which would be like a what's commonly referred to as a needle exchange. So the harm reduction toolkits here in Weymouth are still a little limited. Um, but it's not anything that's come up since I've been on board. Yeah, for those who think that by having a harm reduction facility or even deal with the fentanyl strips, you think you're supporting the person's drug habit or making it making it worse. By doing that, but the reality is, out of uh, out of a hundred people who are addicted, only ten out of 50, ten or fifteen ever get to uh, into treatment. So <clears throat> we get this other eighty five percent that we have to deal with, and we have to deal with them somehow. And we'd we'd much rather keep them alive, and then we have a chance to get them into recovery, as right, opposed to. 
There's also a great deal of evidence that's showing that when harm reduction is in place, let's say an individual visits a location to get fentanyl test strips or to pick up naloxone to keep on their person, they're more likely to enter recovery because they're already in a space that's comfortable, that's non-judgmental, that makes them be able to put their guard down and, and explore those options for recovery. Harm reduction is evidence-based. There's years and years of evidence showing not only how it, it can protect an individual, but also community health. Where we see, for example, in areas where there is a syringe service program, lower rates of viral infections, right? HIV, hepatitis C, individuals are, are healthier. And again, they're more likely to enter recovery when they're in these systems where they're already starting to feel support and connections to people. Yes, and uh, the... Um... The thing that I'm aware of is uh, in Vancouver, the city of Vancouver, we uh, they have several harm reduction facilities. And at one point, they were estimating between four and six people were picked up every day on the sidewalk, on the street. And the first responders were having a major issue because they were just just constantly on the go. And the damage that it was doing to the first responders was terrible. Mm-hmm. And once once they opened up the uh, harm reduction facilities, and they always had a nurse or a, or a doctor who were there, mm-hmm. so that when people come in, they, they were able to at least talk to them, find out what they're doing, and uh, no one's ever overdosed in a harm reduction facility. Right. That That's the most important thing. And so we're keeping people alive and, again, getting a chance to talk to them about getting into treatment. Right. That's the most important thing. So what motivated you, uh, Karen, to get into this job? Because I know this can be a, a stressful job, especially if you had 27 deaths last year. Sure. That's- so I'm relatively new to the position still. I, I just started in September. Um, and when I applied to the Weymouth Health Department, um I had applied for a different position and they came back to me and said, how would you like to interview for substance use prevention? And it wasn't anything that I had originally thought of despite my own experiences. And um, I'm working right now. I'm in graduate school at UMass Amherst working on MPH and I've now I'm taking some more substance use um, focusing more on, on the prevention aspect in my MPH. And so it, it's not something, it's something that just sort of came together with my own lived experiences, my educational experiences, where my professional strengths lie as a public health professional. Uh, it's something that all all came together sort of, um, you know, on its own a bit. <laughs> okay. Now, do you go out to the schools? So I've gone to the schools, but in a capacity of of working with counselors, providing referrals when needed, um, uh, access to a recovery high school. There's a student group at Weymouth High that I work with called SALSA. You'll have to forgive me on the acronym. uh, Students Advocating Life Free from Substance Abuse. And I work closely with that student group, providing them resources. So, for example, National Drug and Alcohol Facts Week is coming up. We'll work together to create some videos for TikTok and make 
use hashtags, providing them resources on alcohol and drug facts so they can create posters and post them around school. A goal of mine is to start to incorporate or at least present to Weymouth Public Schools a universal prevention program. There are many that are evidence-based and backed by DPH that could be used in the schools starting at a younger age, which would teach things such as coping with stress, healthy stress techniques, evidence-based strategies that should help children stay away from choosing substances as they get as they get older. So in in the capacity, yes, I do work with the school, but so far since coming on board, it's really only it's been with the high school students. Well, that's kind of where I figured it, but um, I have been in some grief groups, and I found that a lot of that a lot of the kids started when they were junior high. So you got to drop down to that level probably, and just but I don't think below that is a deal. <clears throat> but yeah, you know, I, I think we're we're looking at like fifth grade to start. Yeah some of the healthy coping skills and stress relieving techniques. The, the one thing I have figured out is that um, I, the one thing that I realized that I don't think our government is warning people enough about fentanyl. You, you are aware of it. I'm aware of it, but the average person that isn't into this or in, isn't in following the whole program, they have no idea that one, one bad mix of fentanyl is all it'll take to end your life. I mean, they, and the other thing is the, the casual marijuana smoker and cocaine user. I've heard of several overdoses because there was fentanyl mixed in with the cocaine. And this is a big, this is a potential problem. That's, so I would say it's out of control because I'm mm-hmm. in a, I'm in a grief group with a group called sad. And, and they, I would say out of the 20 men that are in the group, 16 of their children died from from fentanyl poisoning. Awesome. And they weren't doing fentanyl. They were doing something else, and fentanyl was mixed in with it. So, I mean, what we should be spending money on is, is making that awareness. You have to have that awareness out there. Absolutely. Of, uh, and that's where those test strips come into play, right? right. Um, <clears throat> you have an individual who, who might be you know, seeking out, like you mentioned, cocaine or even cannabis on the streets. That's where these test trips come into play, allowing that individual to say like, hey, is is this an adulterated product or am I getting, you know, the product that I believe it is? Because it's so potent, fentanyl, like you mentioned, it, it really only takes a small amount, particularly when the individual's never had any exposure to an opioid before. It wouldn't take a lot anyway. To, to create an overdose, but now you have this this opioid that's you know fifty times stronger than than morphine immediately entering their body. It's it's a recipe for disaster. Yes, and the other big part of the disaster is the amount of fake pills on the street. Yes, we we definitely have a problem with uh, people stamping out pills and putting mm-hmm. fentanyl in the pills and claiming that they're oxycodone or oxycontin. I mean, which are bad enough. But if you have to, the fentanyl makes it 50 times more potent or maybe higher than that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's again, another issue that people need to be absolutely warned about. Yeah. Uh, 
And it's so it can be so challenging for an individual with an untrained eye to tell which is a counterfeit pill and, and which is the real thing. And of course, as you know, and I know, there are many reasons why an individual may seek out a, a um, medication outside of the the pharmacy or, or the safety of you know a prescription. But the the DEA has a little activity on their website, and it asks you to compare a pill that was made by that pharmaceutical company to to a pressed pill that was found on the street. And I, I really think I only got one right, you know, so to the untrained, a pharmacist might do much better at that type of ch- challenge than, than myself. But to the untrained eye, it, they're pretty good at, at making it look like, like the real thing. Well, yeah, and actually manufacturers are changing colors all the time. That's a problem. Okay. I, I get a I get a drug that I've been on for a few years, and it's a um, antidepressant drug, and they've changed it in the colors three times for the same exact of, of a percentage of the milligrams. Mm-hmm. And it's like if they're doing that with a, with opioids in any way, you know, because we know that Purdue Pharma was making them, we know Johnson and Johnson makes them, and we know mm-hmm. uh, McKesson distributes them. It's, they're all over the place with potential colors. So it'd be almost impossible for the average person to be able to look at those pills and figure out what, where they're coming from. Yeah. So Yeah. It's really challenging. So the balloons are up all over town. Is there any other local towns that are doing this today? Um, I've seen a lot of social media traction. I'm not sure if, if any other towns are putting the balloons out physically. Um. We, we sort of got a, a later start on this. So moving forward, I think reaching out to other coalitions in the area and making it more of like a multi-town event, since it is an annual event, we have some lessons learned from the implementation of this year to to increase our reach of those balloons. Is this the first year it's been done in Weymouth? I believe so. I know it's the... Like I said, I've only been in September, so I know it's the first time that it's it's been done with me here. <laughs> yeah, I would have. I, I didn't hear of it last year, so I'm okay. I'm just guessing now. <clears throat> there is another event that's going to happen in town on August 31st, I believe. It's the International um, Overdose Awareness uh, Day, mm-hmm. and uh, will you be having that function at the park? Yes. Could you explain to the listeners what that's about and anybody from any town can come to it you don't have to yeah of course yeah no so the um the event will be held um at that same park bradford Hawes is the park and uh it will be similar to last year's event where it was the overdose vigil um held in august um it's i want to say it's always the 31st so we kind of mess around it it is it's the 31st it's it has been so we'll um, kind of, you know, tweak it for maybe the weekend before or, or you know, whatever, or maybe on the 31st. These plans are, are in its infancy still. Um, this will be an, another first for me in this role. But um, August in general, so it, it's the 31st is Overdose Awareness Day. We'll have within the park many vendors, grief support, substance use disorder, treatment centers and and harm reduction strategists, Manic Community Health usually comes. And 
we really engage again, engage the community coalition, now the Weymouth Prevention Alliance. We were previously called the Substance Abuse Prevention Team. So I'm still sort of getting used to that new name. And um, I know that the, the whole town gets involved. We'll have a singer or a DJ. Um, again, it's still very, very much in its infancy and planning, but it is an annual event that we absolutely will hold this summer. Hold this summer. Yeah, I was actually a vendor a couple okay. of years back, so I'm very familiar with it. And um, We'll have to make sure to have you back this summer. Well, I'm in a different role now, but I would appreciate. I might do something. But yeah. what we would what we were doing was um, we. <clears throat> I work with another organization called uh, Family Recovery Resources. Okay. And and uh, it says, "Bomb, be a loving mirror." And we had the woman who started the company wrote a book, and I was giving the books away so people could because one of the big problems we know is if there's somebody suffering from substance use disorder in the family, the family's in total chaos. There's absolutely, that that individual is, it's not just a, that individual's problem, it's the whole family's problem. You can't, you can't get around it. Right. It's going to be somebody who might be the enabler, there might be somebody who's, you know, has the attitude of kick them out, like, like um, you know, just tough love approach. You know, and for some some circumstances that works, but for people who are hooked on opioids or heroin, we don't believe it's a it's something that you need to provide right. love, show them that you care, and and get them into recovery or into rehab. Yeah, form because, that connection. Yes, you you have to do that. So you have to let them know that you 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 love them, but they need to have boundaries and. And that you care, and that you want to help them, and, and make sure that they know that you're it's available for the help if they decide they want to go that route. But um, I know sometimes the brain is just hijacked by the drug. Absolutely, and it's, it's hijacked so bad that um, that they're not in their right mind. Mm -hmm. And you know, we've had some <clears throat> major major criminal uh, uh, situations where. People have died because somebody was hooked on the drug and the drug was controlling their life and situations have directed them into doing the things that they would never normally do. Right. But they did it because the endorphins were gone and then they get into the state of depression that you can't get out of, you know. So, right. Right. It does become cyclical. The brain becomes hijacked. And that's why when it comes to communication of this topic, reducing the stigma should be at the top of the list to help more people understand it is a brain disease. It's not, it's not a choice to understand how these mechanisms work, how these drugs sort of fit like a key into a lock within our brains. And, and like you said, hijack those operating systems and, and make the individual act, behave, and do things that they would never no normally do. And it's, it's, it's hard because you've got one generation that's hardcore that just tells, say, oh, they must be weak or they, you know, just tell them to quit. They don't right. understand. They just, you know, they, they're just not strong enough emotionally or mentally. And that's not the case. That's what, that's right. the problem. And that's what we, you're trying to, get over that with the stigma. It's, right. it, it just is, you know, now with 
with all the deaths in Weymouth, do you have a, is there a grief counseling, a grief uh, organization that with parents who've lost somebody from substance use disorder can, could actually <clears throat> go and talk to the other parents and have them group together? Yeah, so we have a few resources in town. One that um, we have a member of our Weymouth Prevention Alliance works with uh, called SADOD, and they they work closely with bereaved parents to help them. Um, they meet together. It provides resources and information assistance to people throughout Massachusetts, but they, they are here in Weymouth as well, affected by death of someone that they love from substance overdose. And there's a few others in Weymouth, um, the Sun Will Rise Foundation. They're they're around here as well. They have grief support resources for loss from overdose, addiction, substance use. They have a wonderful website that has lots of information. We also have around here in town, Hope Floats and Wellness Center. They provide some wonderful resources as well for those that might need to reach out um, to to help with those substance use losses. I was <clears throat> just looked up here. Sad OD is S A D O D dot org. It's That's their right. website, and there are several different organizations. There's some for just for men. There's some for couples. There's some for um, if you have if you've lost a brother or sister. You know, so there's sibling grief groups, and I would strongly recommend those groups because um. And I, I know we haven't discussed this, but my son died six years ago from from a methadone overdose. And um, <clears throat> yeah, and I've been in a member of um, I was with Hope Floats in Kingston, okay. and now I'm part of Sad OD, and um, we're all over the place. We actually even yeah. have people on our on our in our group coming from Wisconsin and Michigan and oh, wow. Florida. Yeah, we're pretty in pretty in, um, multi state. Yeah. Uh, group. And um, I will tell you that we're going to have a Saturday is going to be running in a, uh, a thing in October, which they had last year, which will be somewhere in a central location where if you're suffering from uh, loss of a loved one, uh, it's going to be like a two day event. And WMEX will be advertising that event as it gets closer in time. And you know, We'll be <clears throat> giving out the way you can sign up and okay. go if you'd like. It's a it's totally free uh, unless you want to spend the night at the hotel. But mm-hmm. we get special rates at the hotel, so it's it's not a big deal. And it'll be somewhere between Worcester and Framingham, one okay. of those properties out there. Um, stay tuned. And Sad OD website will have it listed as well uh, when it's officially determined where and when that it's going to be done. Yeah, I think the the Prevention Alliance can help spread the word on that event as well. That would be good. Um, so, Karen, is there something I've, I've neglected to ask you that you'd like to talk about? Um, what else do we have going on? I don't, I don't think so. You sort of run through my mind quickly. Oh, Weymouth is. Um, you mentioned many of the um, purvey the the opioid abatement funds that are coming into town from settlements. Oh yeah. Yeah, Weymouth, Weymouth should be getting a good chunk of change. Yeah, so we have um, on our website, if you visit the Weymouth, Massachusetts website, you can click right on the top, Substance Use Prevention, Mental Health Resources. 
it can click you through and give the individual information on the opioid settlement abatement funds. There's even opportunities for organizations that would like to submit a proposal to the town for the use of opioid abatement funding. We also provide some information directly from the Attorney General's office and the DPH about how the town can spend the money, evidence-based programs that are already in place that can be supported with the funds. This is all really promising information and resources that can help us continue to fight this fight on opioids here in Weymouth. Well, I was going to say that tomorrow at 3 o'clock, there is a, a Zoom meeting with the Attorney General in Massachusetts. And if you go to the SAD website, anybody can participate because if they've lost a child, they're entitled to money. But you got to go by all the rules and regulations to be able to receive receive money as an individual as well as going to the as well as if you have an organization that the town can will get so much money right um, and yeah if you go on the sad website they, they have the link so you can go on the zoom you don't have to participate you can just you can watch it and listen to it right um, and it's as early as tomorrow tomorrow okay. being Tuesday uh, March 7th so well we've taken up a lot of your time today but we appreciate everything that you've done today. And hopefully some of those balloons might be still up by tomorrow. I it's hope going to so. Be a, it's going to be a calm night. The yeah. wind is going to stop blowing. That's good. So. The temperatures are going to drop a little. Um, and so hopefully we'll see those balloons. You'll see volunteers from the Weymouth Prevention Alliance out tomorrow morning, cleaning up all the balloons, making sure that we're not leaving a mess around town. And the virtual balloons, of course, will always have a place there. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, we've been... Speaking to Karen Jacobs, and she is the substance use prevention coordinator from the health department in the town of Weymouth. It's a mouthful. It uh, is. <laughs> you should hear it when I answer the phone. And we definitely appreciate all that you do because, you know, you've got a purpose, a big time purpose to, and something, you know, that's really necessary in every town. But a town of 57,000, you'll get your hands full. I'm honored yes. to be in this role. And we appreciate you for that. Thank and you. This is the Courage to Hope. And Karen is out there giving people hope and courage. Reason why we call it our show just that. And this is Tony LaGreca. And we thank you very much for listening. Everybody have a good day. Bye bye.